0: Next Sunday is our one-year anniversary. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are a pretty new church. Um, So next Sunday, we're celebrating one year together. I hope you can be here with us for that. Uh, Some special guests are going to be here with us, some special worship, and lunch afterwards. So please invite some folks. Good Sunday to get a flavor about what our church is about. We're going to finish up a sermon series this morning that we've been in just for the past three weeks called The Beloved Community, as Ramelia already uh, referenced. Uh, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is, uh, is talking about the kind of community that we believe God is calling uh, our church to be. And we're borrowing language from Dr. Martin Luther King, who describes the result of the civil rights movement, the goal of the movement, as God's beloved community. So Dr. King and many of the leaders within the movement, they identify the problems. They uh, uh, identify the, the, the evil in the world, wickedness, injustice, issues of racism. But they didn't stop there. They, they, they went on to say, it's not just that we point out these things that are wrong, it's that we believe God is bringing something new, the beloved community. We're living into this new reality that is available because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And that's what we believe as a church, too. We believe that we're, we're called to identify the ugly things of life, the hard things of life, the injustices of life, not as an end in and of themselves, but as steps into the community that God is calling us into, that is available to us because of Jesus. Amen? 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 And so we began weeks ago by talking about two different cities in one mission, the city of Babel in the Old Testament and the city of of, of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. And we said that in these two cities, we see that God's intention for the world has always been a world of complex diversity, that this is good, that this is right, that this is God's intention. And kind of between these two cities, the mission of God remains the same, reconciling humanity to God's self. Uh, Week number two, we talked about Jesus and the powers, and we, we said that the divisions that we experience in this world, the divisions that we experience in our city, are evidence of what the Bible calls the principalities and the powers, the spiritual forces of evil. That though defeated on the cross and though destined for destructions at Christ's return, fight like hell to divide and to destroy We ended that sermon by saying that Christians are called not to just watch this, not to be aware of this, not to cloister ourselves or to pull back in fear, but to enter the fight. I don't know if you remember, but we said that the Apostle Paul shows us that to enter the fight, we be the church. We be the people that God has called us to be. We don't Again, we don't sit on the sidelines. We don't watch the world go by. We live into the new reality that God has called us to exhibit to the world. We worship together as a reconciled community. When we experience unity in Christ, when we experience the diversity of the kingdom of God in a way that is unified, we proclaim, Paul says, to the principalities and the power that Jesus alone is Lord. And so we're not passive. In the face of the principalities and the powers, our community life together, the reconciliation that we know in Jesus, confronts the principalities and the powers. Who was here last Sunday? Last Sunday. Last Sunday was a little bit interesting, a little bit different. So, my anthropologist friend, Brian Howe, came and, 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 and had a conversation with Michelle Dodson about white privilege. That's different for church, right? At least for maybe the church you grew up in did that, but not mine. And so we talked about, and we said we have to talk as a church, about some of the major hurdles that a reconciled community will face. And we're convinced that one of those major obstacles as a church is the reality of white privilege in our world. And we have to acknowledge that what passes for neutral and normal in our country is actually a culture that privileges some and has oppressed others and stereotypes and ignores still others. Identifying this privilege and its destructive consequences is just one of the ways that Christ frees us to bring all of ourselves into church. Church, God's chosen vehicle, reconciliation in our world. Now, before we get to today's sermon, um, I I, I got an email this week that that asked a helpful question. uh, uh, Someone from our church who was reflecting on their community group conversation uh, following the sermon last week. And he said, it's going to be important for our church to continue answering the question, to what end diversity? In other words, why is reconciliation so important to us? Why is a diverse, reconciled, unified community so important to us? Why does it matter? Does that question make sense to you? And it was a helpful reminder to me. First, I go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a a text we looked at a couple weeks ago. And the Apostle Paul, he puts it this way. He says, God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, at the cross, God restores humanity to God's self. And this is the part that most of us who are Christians, we know this, we get this, we, yes, this is what the cross is. My relationship has been restored to God because of what Jesus has done for us. But Paul, in this text, he says, at the heart of the gospel is not just what God has done to restore our relationship with God. It's what God has done to restore our relationship with each other. Amen? And this is important for us as a church because many times we think about the relational, the human side of things. That's the the extra. That's the peripheral. That's the, like, level 201 of the gospel. What does Paul say? Paul says, no. At the heart of the gospel are two things that happen: restored relationship with God, reconciled relationship with one another. And so if we are to answer this question, what end diversity, we have to talk about the gospel. Um, let me read to you a quote from a book titled "United By Faith" by some theologians and sociologists. They write this about the early church. One reason that the first century church was so successful at establishing diverse congregations was that their theology informed them that God had already reconciled them across the dividing line of Jews and Gentiles. All they had to do was live according to what Christ had already done on their behalf. When we gather together in multiracial congregations, we are implementing what has already been realized through Christ's death on a cross. Does that make sense? What these authors are saying is that the reason that the early church experienced reconciliation, and you remember that we talked about how divided the world was, just like it is in our day the reason that they could experience reconciliation, the reason that they placed such a high value on a diverse people maintaining their cultural distinctives and yet worshiping in unity together was because of what they believed about the cross. They believed that at the cross, we've been reconciled to God and to one another. This is true. This is done. And so they lived into this new reality. Do you see? Is this true for us? You you see, for us, uh, reconciliation, diversity, talking about hard issues like racism, that we don't do this because it's fun, would you agree? Or because it's easy. Or because it's cool to be a multi-whatever cultural, ethnic, racial. Because that won't sustain us, will it? We live into this new reality. We push into these things because what we believe God accomplished on the cross. It's done. Amen. So we're living what we believe to be true. So if I could put it real, real, real succinctly, to what end of city, we pursue reconciliation and unity within a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church because of the gospel, period. The gospel, the gospel that through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, we have access to restored relationship with God and reconciliation with one another. Is this clear? Somebody say yes. Is this clear? We make it complicated, don't we? And believe me, it gets complicated. But the why is, It's actually pretty simple. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. To what end diversity? The gospel. So we wrap up today with our last sermon. I've titled our sermon today Conflict, Laughter, Discomfort, Forgiveness, and Other Hopeful Signs. (laughs) Conflict, Laughter, Discomfort, Forgiveness, and Other Hopeful Signs. Uh, Not long ago, I had... uh, Two conversations with members of our church within the span of a few days, and and, and I found them very enlightening. The first conversation with, was with an African American leader in our church, and this 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 leader said, she said, Sometimes on Sunday mornings I wake up and she said, I just I want to go to my to my black church and just worship. Worship the way I grew up worshiping. I'm like, oh, okay. And two days later, I had a conversation with another very mature leader in our church, an Asian-American woman. And she said, she said, sometimes I wake up on Sunday mornings. and I I, want to worship the way I grew up worshiping. Anybody relate? You can admit it. And I walk away from this conversation going, now, isn't this an interesting thing? Here we have two different people with two vastly different experiences of what it looks like to worship God, right? You understand? Vastly different experiences. Coming together, worshiping, and going, yes, this is good. I'm glad I'm here, but I wish it could be like. I wish we could do it like the way I did it when we grew up or in my church or within my community. You know what I'm saying? I've mentioned this story before. A month ago, I was meeting with my spiritual director and uh, I was sharing with her my anxieties of being kind of a a white pastor in a uh, predominantly African-American neighborhood in a multi-ethnic church. And like how trying to figure it out and kind of have these second guesses about am I making the right decisions as the pastor? And I said to her, I said, help me figure this out. I I, want to stop feeling this. I don't like how this discomfort feels. I don't like how this confusion feels. I don't like second-guessing myself. My spiritual director is an African-American woman, and she said to me, David, you need to feel this. She said, if you weren't feeling these things, I would be worried about you. If you thought everything was great and you trusted your instincts as a white man in this neighborhood, in this church, something would be wrong, you see. She said, what you are experiencing as God's absence may in fact be evidence of God's presence in your life. What did she do for me? She reinterpreted my experience, do you see? She didn't gloss over what I was feeling. She didn't pretend I was feeling something else. She said, this is what you're experiencing, but the way you're interpreting it is wrong. God is present to you, David. God is speaking to you, David just not how you're used to hearing it. It's not just, it's not, it's not how you like to experience it. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? I'm not the only one. So here's this reality for us as a church is that we bring to our community distinct cultural lenses, right? I'm a white man. I see the world that way. I don't get to choose that, Right? I bring this. You bring your cultural perspective, your history, your story, your family, your neighbor. You bring that to this church. Would you agree? And it influences how you experience things, doesn't it? So what do we do about that? How does that work for us in a church that's supposed to be reconciled and talking and understanding? And How does this work? I want to say to us this morning that if we do not find new ways to understand and interpret our lives within God's kingdom, this new kingdom that we've been called to, we will completely miss the ways that God is active in our lives, active in our church, and active in our city. This is true, of course, not just of multi-ethnic churches like ours. I would say This is one of the major storylines throughout the Bible. Every time God calls a people to God's self, they struggle to understand their lives now. Why? Because we live in a world where the principalities and the powers are actively opposing God, seeking to divide and even destroy humanity. So when you and I live within the kingdom of God... We are now in direct confrontation with how the world works. Would you agree? You could say that that when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to the gospel, when we step into the kingdom of God, we are now on a collision course with the way the world works. Let me give you some examples about this. I said this is one of the storylines through the Bible. Let let me tell you what I mean. Remember Abraham? Abraham. Here's Abraham's reality. Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. This is Abraham's reality. This is the world he lives in. Sarai, that's his wife, was barren. She had no children. This is Abraham's reality. This is how the world works. I'm old. I'm not going to have an heir. I'm not going to have a son. That's how it works. This is the world that Abraham knew. What is the world that God calls him into? What is the new life? What is the kingdom that God calls Abraham into? He comes to Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. This is the new world. This is the new reality. This is the new kingdom that Abraham is being called into. Here's my old world. I'm old. We're barren. That's my story. God says, Abraham, your new story going to have a son you have a great family who will be a great nation this is your new reality abraham this is what's true for you now but there's a collision between the the world that abraham knew and the world that god was calling him into how does that play out abraham pretends that his wife is his sister twice not once Twice. Because this is how the world works. Abraham disbelieves multiple times, as does his wife, that they will ever have a child. He tells God, well, this, this, my, my, my servant's son will be my heir. This is how Abraham's world works. He sleeps with his wife's servant in order to have a son. Because this is how the world works. And so even after God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, this is my promise for you. This is what's true for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. Collision. No, No, I know how the world works. I know what's true. The Israelites. It's time for the Israelites for just a second. They're rescued from Egypt. Abraham's eventual family that turns into a nation. They're enslaved in Egypt. God sends Moses, rescues them from Egypt, leads them through the wilderness, schools them for months and how to be God's covenant people. And finally, they arrive where? The promised land. They're there. God has been faithful. He's done everything he said he was going to do. Your old reality, you were slaves in Egypt. Your new reality, God's treasured possession. Children of God, given a new land flowing with milk and honey. You remember the story? They send out 12 spies in the land. You remember what happens? They come back. Great, let's go! Just like God said, right? Right? Ten come back. Remember what they say? I love this. I love this. Ten of the spies come back, and this is what they say. The land we explored devours those living in it. All of the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is their collision. This is the world as they knew it. God had been faithful. God had fought for them. God had done everything that God promised for them. And still, we seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. So let's turn around. This story pulls into the New Testament. We talked about the Apostle Peter last uh, two weeks ago. Let's pick on him again for just a minute. Peter spends three years with Jesus. I mean, if you want like a Jesus education, Peter got it morning, noon and night. He knew everything about Jesus, everything there was to know at that point. Peter knew it. He experienced it. He lived it. He ate it. He drank it. Peter was taught about God's coming kingdom that would welcome all people, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of class, regardless of your religious status. Peter, after Jesus ascends, receives a very tangible vision from God saying, Peter, you are going to be sent to those who you right now hate. You're going to the Gentiles, Peter. This is your new reality, Peter. This is true for you now, Peter. If you've read the book of Galatians, you remember the section where the apostle Paul writes about having to call Peter out after all of this. Why? Because Peter was in fellowship with Gentile believers like he should have been following the way of Jesus. But then certain Jewish Christians came to town. What did Peter do? He says, oh, no, 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 no. I won't associate myself with them anymore. Paul has to call him out. A collision between Peter's old, old, old way of life of ethnic division. And the new reality that God had called Peter into. A new kingdom where these divisions were gone forever in Jesus, you see. This storyline of this collision between our old way of living, the way the world works, of the principalities and the powers, and the world that God is calling us into is one that is common throughout the Scriptures. I guess is all of us experience it on a daily basis, whether we're aware of it or not. The way of Jesus colliding with the way of the world. Abraham fathers a son with his wife's servant. The Israelites fear the giants in the land. And Peter chooses once again ethnocentrism over the gospel's reconciliation. And us? Is it any different for us? Is it any less true for us that we experience this collision as well? Should we not expect a collision between a world that glorifies greed and God's extravagant generosity? Should we not expect a collision between a a world that grants acceptance based on outward appearance and the Son of God who sees our hearts and transforms us from the inside out? And how much more true is this for a church like ours, a multi-ethnic, multi messy church like ours? Should we not expect a collision between a world that tolerates and even advances divisions and a God who really, really loves everyone? Should we not experience a collision between a world that privileges certain people and God's deep concern and love for the oppressed of our world? Should we not experience a collision between a world that advances destructive stereotypes of based on gender and race? And a Jesus who cared for the unique situations of everybody he met, whether they were a rich ruler, a sick widow, a religious leader, or a grieving father. Are we any different church from Abraham, from the children of Israel? from peter if they struggled so mightily when their old lives collided with new life in jesus why would it be any different for us let me let me me just for a minute just talk to to, to those of you who this is your church this is your family we have some visitors today or some who are like i I don't know these are some weird people i don't know if i'm in or out let let me talk let me talk to those of you who this is place okay this is your people this is hard. Would you agree? This is hard. Living within this collision is hard. It's tiring. I was on a conference call this week with a pastor up in Grand Rapids who's pastoring a multi ethnic church there, and we're talking about these kinds of things, and he says, you know, you guys down in Chicago, you have two seasons. You have winter and road construction. He's saying you all hate road construction because it tears up your roads. Amen. It's dusty. It's dirty. It takes them forever, forever, forever to finish. They're paving a road by our house right now. I thought our house was on fire. Like that smell, that tar smell and nasty. He said, you all hate road construction. But you love that paved road. And this pastor, he said, he said, the old road has to get torn up before a new paved road can be laid down. That old messy road, potholy road, gravelly road's got to get ripped up, torn up, and it's a nasty job. It's a dirty job. It's a hot job. It takes forever. but It's got to be done if a new road is going to be laid on top. You all know where I'm going with this. This is not a subtle illustration. Our old roads are being torn up. Old roads of racism, old roads of privilege, old roads of stereotypes and prejudices, old roads of just selfishness are being torn up. And can I tell you that it it should be hard? It needs to be hard, church. What would it mean if this were easy? What would it mean right now if nobody could, could you know, sympathize with me when I say this is hard? If You're like, really? Hard? Psh, not for me. What would it mean if this were easy? What would it mean if, if we all agreed with each other all the time? What would that mean? What would it mean if if everybody always resonated with the exact set selection every single week that the worship team picked? What would it mean if it was completely easy and natural to form friendships? What would it mean if everybody in our church always voted for the exact same political candidates? What would it mean if we all had the same ideas of how best to serve our neighborhood? What would that mean? What would it mean if everybody agreed exactly what the preacher should be preaching about on Sunday? What would that mean? What would it mean if if next week during our first anniversary service, the best thing we could say was, well, it's been easy. This has been easy. What would that mean, church? Might it mean that we had exchanged the narrow gate of Jesus for the broad path of the world? Is that a possibility? Might it mean that we had prioritized our pretty pitiful agendas over the God who proclaims as the heavens are higher from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts? If it were easy, might it mean that that we had chosen to worship finite, pathetic gods made in our own image, rather than the righteous God who even now is worshipped by angelic beings who cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. What would it mean if it were easy, church? Following a God who is tearing up our old roads, it's hard. It's hard. And it should be hard. The gospel is hard. The, do- the gospel asks us to die and be resurrected anew. The gospel is hard, but the gospel is good, church. Amen? And so, and so, and so this means more than just accepting hardships. Right? We don't want to just like walk out here like a bunch of martyrs, like, okay, I've got to suffer for Jesus. I'm going to take it like a rat. No. No. Because he follows a God who fulfilled every single one of his promises, Abraham learned to interpret the that's impossible instinct into a sign that he was at the center of God's will. He learned. Because they followed a God who promised to never leave them and never forsake them, the Israelites learned that the, the fear that they knew when encountering the giants in the land was actually evidence of God's upcoming provision in them. And because Peter followed the God who eats with tax collectors and prostitutes, who heals foreigners and welcomes the marginalized, Peter learned that the cultural discomfort and confusion that he hated was actually the place where gospel reconciliation was experienced in profound ways. It's more than just accepting hardship. Living within God's kingdom means relearning how to understand and interpret our lives and our experiences in light of the God who has called us. So I want to ask this morning, what is it that we should be looking for as a church? If, if Abraham had to relearn, the children of Israel had to relearn, if people, Peter had to relearn what this life was like, what should we be looking for, church? What are the things that we should be paying attention to as signs of God's presence with us? Is that a good question? We need to know what to pay attention to, don't we? We need to know what to listen for, what to look for. Because it's probably not going to be what we expect. Amen? It's going to catch us off guard. It's going to surprise us. We are forming a new community that centers on God's reconciliation through Jesus. And so, of course, we expect tension. We expect collision with a world that is governed in so many ways by the principalities and the powers. Yes within this new community where our old ways of judging and evaluating aren't all that helpful. We have to look for new evidence of where God is at work in our lives. So I want to share with you just a handful of what I'm going to call hopeful signs for us this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. I didn't get this list out of some chapter in the Bible. This is sort of your pastor saying, this is what I'm looking for, okay? So write some of these things down, but add to them. Have this conversation in your community group. What are we looking for as a church? What do we need to pay attention to as a church? What are the things that will surprise us but may in fact be evidence that God is at work? Number one, discomfort. Anybody who likes being uncomfortable? Good. Discomfort. Can I tell you that if it were up to me during worship time, I would be in the very back row. And this would, this would be, I would be like this. Like this. And like if I was really into it. <laughs> I'm just being straight up with you. Like that's, my, that's, that's me. That's comfortable for me. I'm having to learn that standing down here up front. And you know, like doing this every once in a while. I know some of you are like, "You are so remedial." It's true. I'm very remedial. Learning worship in new ways that are frankly just not comfortable to me. These are the places where I'm encountering God. These are where my lo- this is the place where my life is being shaped and transformed. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm gaining a larger vision of what it means to be a worshiping community. I'm gaining a, a broader understanding of the range of emotions that are available to me as I worship. Do You see? Still not comfortable, I'm not going to lie. Still feel discomfort. But One of the hopeful signs for us as a church will be when we have those feelings of discomfort, where we don't immediately go, oh, something's wrong here, something's wrong. We've got to change this, we've got to fix this. But I wonder, I wonder what God is doing. I wonder what God is doing in me. You see? Say discomfort. discomfort. Discomfort is our friend, church. Here's the second one. Relinquishing power and control. Relinquishing power and control. I heard a story uh, uh, this week uh, from one of our leaders um, and she was, she, she was talking with a, a white woman in our church. And this woman said, I'm used to in most churches kind of having certain control and influence and power. And she said, and I'm finding in our church that, that I have to give some of that up. That, that it's important in our church that, that we have a plurality of voices. That, that we're represented well in our leadership because of who's here, who God has called here. Can I tell you how hopeful that is to me to hear that? Oh, because I love being in control right? Am I alone in that? You give me some power, I'm, mm, I like how that feels. To give that up? To give that to somebody else? You see? Look for that. Is this present in your life? Is this present in our church where we are relinquishing our control and our power to do it the way we think it ought to be done? Next one. Assuming a difference in perspective. Do you know that everybody doesn't see the world how you see it? Do you know that? They don't. The, the church that I was at many years ago, we would sing these songs on occasion that I really did not like. I thought they were theologically just shallow, you know, like me-centered and like, uh, you know, and I would stand there and I'm like, oh God, why are we singing these? They're just not helpful. And you know what? Every time that would happen, I promise you, every time, Someone would come up to me after the service and be like, that song just blessed me. The Holy Spirit ministered to me. I saw new things about God. And I'm like, what? That's not possible. That's a bad song. But we do this, don't we, church? We experience something and we assume I'm right. Right. I can see this sucker all the way around, 360. I know what's happening. One of the hopeful signs of our church will will be when we begin to just naturally assume, oh, oh, someone else sees this differently than I do. Someone else experienced that song differently than I did. Someone else experienced that that interaction differently. Someone else heard that news differently than I did. I need to listen to that. Yes? Here's the next one. Conflict. Is that the next one, Tyler? I skipped one? Oh, using power to benefit everyone. Were you like trying to rearrange the slides? You are a good man. You'll need, just tell me. Just tell me. Help me preach. Using power to benefit everyone. Using power to benefit. So, so there is power in a church, right? This is just a reality. People have leadership, people have been given power. Are we using our power to represent everybody? Or are we using the power that we've been given to represent people who think like me, look like me, come from this place that I come from? Will we use the little bit of power that our church has been given to represent people who are mostly like us? Will we use it to benefit this neighborhood, to benefit this city? How are we using the little bit of power that God has given us? Who is benefiting from Conflict. Now we're on conflict, right, Tyler? Conflict. I'm always careful about this one because some people like conflict, and that's not good. But some people hate conflict, and that's not good either. You show me someone who loves conflict or hate conflict, that's a problem. We as a church, we need to expect conflict. And we need to learn how to have conflict in a way that honors and respects each other. And have conflict such that the gospel is present even as we disagree. Does that make sense? I mean, look around you. Do you think you agree with everybody in this room? No. I guarantee it. Probably in some profound ways. Not like in, you know, Cub Sox kind of disagreements, but like really deep stuff. There will be conflict in a church like ours. And if there's not, you know what's happening? You know what's happening? We're just sweeping it under the rug. And it will bubble out at some point. It's like some of you have closets where you just throw stuff in, right? You've got, you've got visitors coming over. You just throw stuff in that closet. At some point, right, it's going to come out. And probably like, at, like, when you, like when you have visitors over or something, right? How are we, how are we handling conflict? We expect conflict. And when it shows up, we acknowledge it. We look each other in the eye. We listen. We allow the gospel to be present as we seek not to just cover it up, but reconciliation. Yes? I put forgiveness next intentionally. Uh, Churches measure success in different ways. I don't know if you know this. Churches can measure success by how many... People show up on a Sunday, how big their buildings is, how big their budgets are. Churches measure success in different kinds of ways. You know what I think one of the best ways to measure our success as a church would be? How often we forgive each other. What if that was the primary thing we were looking for as a church? How often do I forgive? What does Peter, Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey Jesus, if I, if I forgive seven times, is that like enough? Is that, and what does Jesus say? What do you say? Seventy times, what does he do? He's saying, there is no limit, Peter. He's living within a new reality now. There's no limit on forgiveness. You're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. You're going to get, something's going to happen where you're going to, I am going to say something to you that you're going to, I'm going to need you to forgive me. I'm going to need to ask you to forgive me. You will need to ask people in your community groups, please forgive me. I was ignorant. I was mad. I need you to forgive me. How can we keep doing this? Because the gospel is true for us, church. Because every time that we show up on a Sunday morning, we are reminded that the only thing that sustains us is God's forgiveness of us. Yes? We are constantly being forgiven. Why would we stop forgiving? How many times can we forgive as a church? Here's my next one. Laughter. You know how some when they talk about uh, things like race especially, it's like you can just tell they're just so afraid of saying something, like potentially offensive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like it gets real serious, you know, and it's like, well, so as you, as a, um, can I say African-American, you know, or is, is it Caucasian, like what's, you know, like, You understand what I'm saying, right? We get tied up in knots, right? One of my friends says that seriousness is the refuge of the shallow. It's shallow people who always have to be serious. When we take ourselves too seriously, it's evidence that we don't take God seriously enough. If we take God seriously, then we are free! Free! people it's not up to us to get it right it's not up to us to never make a mistake to never say something ignorant or offensive why? because we're, we have forgiveness available to us amen do we laugh as a church if we are always serious if we're always like mm, so earnest about everything lighten up the gospel is true for us when we laugh together. I told you I was going to tell this story. So David, David Ashley and I, we have like a late lunch together the other day. And um, I'll tell you this because this made me laugh. You might not think this is funny. <laughs> and so we're driving after lunch and David, Ashley says, he says, I don't know if this is racist, but which, I, I mean, any sentence that starts that way, like, it's going to be funny, right? You know? I'm, like, I'm already laughing. I'm like, oh, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Said, I don't know if this is racist, but do all white pastors drive old Toyota Corollas? <laughs> I'm like, why, why you got to, like, take down my car? It's 98, Toyota Corolla. It's got a lot of years on it still. Like, apparently, David knows another white pastor who drives an old Toyota And he, I didn't tell you this, but like my old pastor in the suburbs, like, he drives an old Toyota Corolla. He's white, too. So maybe, there, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. But can you agree that there's something just really beautiful about being able to laugh together? That there's evidence of, 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 of this being a safe place because we worship a big, powerful, protective God? That we have unlimited access to forgiveness and reconciliation with each other? Somebody say amen. amen. we got to laugh together, church. So, uh, surprise friendships. Friendships that you wouldn't probably be in otherwise. Uh, so many times when Maggie and I have people over to our house and we're sitting around the table, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I really am. Like, I do not deserve these friendships. I don't. I told this story a while ago, Maggie and I lived in, in Logan Square, we, uh, we were on the top flat, and our landlord and his family were, were down below, so we saw each other a lot, anybody who came to visit us had to kind of go by their front door, we would be in the backyard having barbecues with our friends, and this guy just said whatever like it's on his mind just comes out, there's no filter whatsoever. And so one day, we bump into each other, and, and we're kind of talking, and then he just looks at me, he goes, I don't have any black friends. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Okay. I don't know what you would say to that. I, I didn't know what to say to that. He goes, well, I see, like, the people who you guys hang out with, like, all these different folks coming over. He's like, and I, I kind of thinking, like, all my friends are white. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. And he knew kind of who we were in our story, blah, blah, blah. But it got me thinking, like, why, why are we so privileged to have friends who, like, really, how would have I met people outside of our church? How would I trust people? How would these people trust me? How would we find these things in common outside of this place right here? Who are your friends? Are are, are your friends or the people that you eat with, that drink with, that you go out and have fun with, that that you can lean on, are they people who you would have had access to before outside of this reconciling community? Or do your friendships look different? This is a sign of God's presence and activity in our church. content in never arriving this is a hard one for me you guys i like to be there my wife will tell you like we're on a road trip like i'm so stereotypically male in this way you know like if you are not dying we don't have to stop you know i like to get there i think most of us like to arrive yeah the whole it's not the destination it's the journey blah 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 yeah right whatever Like 15 hours into a road trip, who's saying that? You know, like you want to be there. We like to arrive. We like to have it figured out. We like to say, this is how we do things. Oh, this is kind of our ministry, and this ministry works like this. Our worship thing does like this, and our prayer team kind of does like this, and our preaching always is the same way like this, and we kind of know exactly how we're going to reach out to this neighborhood. We've arrived. We know how it works. It's not going to happen, church yeah, we're going to figure some things out, yeah, we're going to hit rhythms in some areas, but a church like this, a multi-ethnic church like this that is committed to pursuing what God is up to, we're never going to get there. And that goes against our, our instincts, doesn't it? Coming to accept that, coming to be content in that, coming to look forward to, what is God out for us next? That will be another sign, another hopeful sign. Next one, identifying with the other. This is how Michelle Dodson usually says it, the other. Identifying with people who aren't just like me, who are different than me. This, this, was most profound, this point was most profoundly made to me when my, my wife and I, when, when we were preparing to adopt. And because we were uh, adopting a child whose race and ethnicity was different than our own, we had to go through what's called a transracial adoption class. Um... One of the things that we did is watch this video, and I don't really remember anything about the video, but uh, except this one point, which this this mother who had adopted years and years ago, a white woman who adopted non-white children, she she said, "I, I had to learn that when somebody said something offensive to my child, that had to be offensive to me too. I could never excuse it. I could never pat my child on the head and say, oh, no, no, they didn't really mean that. If somebody said something uh, offensive racially or because of ethnicity about my child, I had to be mad. I had to be angry. I had to take it personally. That's my child. And just because my skin color looks different than them doesn't matter. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's what I'm talking about here. Identifying with each other in that way where we know each other in this way, where we don't just care for our own interests, but we deeply care about the interests of others. Why? Because this is what God did for us. Jesus took our interests onto himself. He didn't say, well, you guys got yourself into this mess and you kind of have your own thing going on there, so, you know, he took it onto himself. He experienced our pain, our brokenness, our temptation, our isolation, our loneliness, our betrayal. He experienced it all. One of the signs of God's presence in our church is that we begin to identify with each other in these deep, deep ways. Does that make sense? Does that feel too big? Almost done, almost done. Our every day our everyday lives begin matching our Sunday beliefs. You all come here on Sunday and I talk about these things, multi-ethnicity and reconciliation, and blah, 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 blah. And then we go home. And and the and the and the and the reality is that we could do this church thing and we could show up right here and it could stop right here. Your life could just go on looking exactly the same. It could. We could show up and we could, isn't this great multi-ethnic reconciliation? And then everything just continues the same. So that your interests remain your interests. So that your involvement remains your involvement. And there is no actual change. There is no actual transformation in where our lives actually live out. And then lastly, this is where I've been living these days, Church. In utter dependence on God rather than any strategy, program, or method. Anybody resonate with that? This is what the Holy Spirit has been doing in my life lately, church. I'm hopeful that some of you are, 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 are resonating with this. I'm hopeful that this is what the Holy Spirit is telling our church. That it is no program, it is no strategy, it is no method. It is utter dependence on God and God alone. I hope the vision that exists within this church is overwhelming to you. I hope it's too big for you. I hope it's something that only God can accomplish. Do we depend on Him, church? Do we depend on God for everything? Are we trusting in our methods? Are we trusting in our intellect and in, in our financial resources? Where is our trust? Only God, only God can accomplish this. That's my list. What do you think of my list? It's okay? Add to it, please. Add to this list. Talk about this. What do we look for? Share this with each other. How do we need to be paying attention? What do we need to be listening to? We need new ways of understanding our lives as our world collides with the kingdom that we've been called into. We need ways of understanding what's God Here's God at work. So let's end with this. How are we sustained in this? Because nobody wants to just live like in the midst of road construction forever, right? No, no, it's horrible. What sustains us in this collision? We're relearning things. We're looking for new ways of God being present, but what is going to sustain us? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. I want to tell you that it's the presence of Christ only that will sustain us. Uh, one of the best-known passages about the Lord's Supper comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me read this to you. This is the part that most of us are familiar with. Paul is writing to this early church, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Is that familiar to most of you? You hear that language? Do you know that on either side of this passage, Paul is going after these massive divisions in the church? Paul places right in the center of this passage the Lord's Supper. When you come together, you're celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. How does he put it right there? On either end, he says, church, you're dragging the world into church with you. In this particular case, class divisions. The rich eating all of the resources, taking all of the resources and leaving none for the poor, Paul says. This was the collision that the Corinthian church was facing. This is how our old world works. The rich and the poor, they're divided. So we bring that into the church and Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a new reality that you live into now. What will sustain you in that? The presence of Christ. That's it. Church, it's not just that Christ died for us. It's not just that Christ resurrected for us. It's that Christ sustains us. And this is the imagery of the the Lord's Supper. We come and we take the bread and we take the cup and we are sustained by Jesus. Do you see? David Karagu, go ahead and come back come up. Thank you. When we come this morning, when we receive the, the bread, when we dip it into the cup, we're not just going through the motions of something. We're not just being obedient to a command. When we do this this morning, we are proclaiming the reconciling gospel, number one. We're saying that this is our starting point. That in Jesus, we have been restored to God. That in Jesus, we have been reconciled to one another. This is what you're doing. You come up, you take this bread, you dip it in this cup, you are proclaiming this gospel. You come up and you receive these elements, you are reminded this morning that even as you consume them, you are consumed by them. What do I mean? We take the bread, we take the cup, but in doing so, we are reminded that our lives have been enfolded in Jesus. We're reminded that when the Father looks at us, he judges us not by our own works, but by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of the perfect Christ. We have been consumed in Jesus. Our lives have been enfolded into Christ. We proclaim the reconciling gospel. We are reminded that we are consumed by Jesus. And when we come this morning, one of the things that we do is that we we recommit ourselves to each other. This is why we celebrate this together. You know, you don't take communion home and you eat it by yourself and have a nice spiritual moment, right? We do this together. Because in doing, when I take this, I'm reminded that I've been consumed by Christ. And then when David Ashley comes, I see he also has been consumed by Christ. And then when Marquita comes, she also... This is our family. This is the new community that we belong to. As diverse people, yes. As culturally distinct people, yes. But united in a new family in Jesus. Amen? Real quick review. We live within a world that despite God's original intentions is often ruled by the powers and the principalities opposed to God. When we accept God's invitation of reconciliation within the kingdom of God, we will inevitably collide with the world. It will be hard. There will be road construction. Living within this collision means finding new ways to understand and to interpret our lives, our experiences in order to see where God is present, where God is active. Because he's active, right church? He's present. We are sustained in this new community by the presence of God, by the presence of Jesus leads us through hardship and struggle into joy if you're visiting with us this morning when we celebrate communion we tear off a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup there will be some prayer ministers up front in a minute love to pray for you this morning if there's anything in your life that you want to be reminded of in Jesus there's any sickness in your life, if there's any thing falling apart in your life, we want to pray for you this morning. And the way we're going to do it this morning is a little bit different. This is going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not beyond that. We're going to just have some music playing just for a while. and want to just ask us to quietly, silently reflect on the presence of Christ with us to prepare our hearts. And then I'm going to come up and we're going, to, we're going to say a prayer together. And then I'm going to take the bread in the cup and I'm going to stand here. And then when you're ready, you come up and I'm going to serve you communion. And when you take the bread, I'm going to say this is the body of Christ. And then when you dip it in the cup, I'm going to say this is the blood of Christ. And then when you've taken it, you're going to take the cup and the plate from me. And you're going to stand somebody else comes, and then you will say, this is the body of Christ, and this is the blood of Christ. We'll receive communion that way this morning. Now, I want to say that if, for some reason, you're very, well, everybody's a little uncomfortable with that idea, right? But if you're very, very uncomfortable with that idea, you can come up, receive communion, and just, you can go back and sit down. You don't have to, you don't have to take it. I'd like to encourage you to do that. I'd like to encourage us this morning, especially those of us who this is our family, this is our church. I'd like us to serve one another this morning. I'd like us to be reminded that we recommit to what God is doing in our midst. I'd like you to say these words to each other and remind each other that we have been consumed in Jesus. I'd like us to remind each other this morning that we live within this new reality and yes, there's a collision and yes, it's hard and it can be tiring and confusing, but God is present. and We see him and we know him and we experience him. We're sustained by the very son of God. Amen? Amen. So take just a few minutes. Church, please let me pray for us and let's just have a a few minutes of silence. God, I pray now that you would, in the way that only your Holy Spirit can do, Would you please speak words of truth and life to us? Some of us right now are hearing words of deception or confusion, and I pray that you protect us from that. Some of us are feeling overwhelmed or tired or confused or wondering whether you're even present here with us, and I pray that your spirit would speak truth to us now. Some of us maybe feel a little bit overwhelmed by a gospel that calls us to such a, a, a... Completely new kind of life. So Holy Spirit of the living God, we need you to make Jesus huge for us now. We need you to make the cross huge for us now. Any fear, any anxiety, God, we need that to pale in comparison to the cross. Where the Son of God took on to himself all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our wickedness and put it to death. The cross where the principalities and the powers of this world were defeated. The cross that points us to the future when the Son of God will return and restore all things. So Holy Spirit of the living God, make the cross big to us now. As we consider what you have done and what you are doing in our lives, speak, speak, speak Holy Spirit to us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this, uh, this is the blood of the new covenant that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Church, let's say this prayer together as we prepare our hearts We do not presume to come to this Your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in Your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under Your table, but You are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the bread and drink the cup, that we may evermore dwell in Him, and he in us. Amen. When you're ready, I invite you to come, receive communion from me, and then if you're up for it, to to take the elements from me and serve one another. Didn't, uh, if you didn't receive communion just now, but would like to, I invite you to stay after the service, and I would be very happy to serve you the Lord's Supper. A story of God's people throughout the centuries is of a people who are sustained by God. We're not very unique, church. We face confusing circumstances face issues of division. There may be areas of sin in our life that feel too big. This has been the story of God's people since the beginning, of a life that feels too complicated, too big, and of a God who has sustained God's people, amen, from the beginning. And so, as uh, uh, Laura, Laura, come on out. We're just gonna sing this chorus uh, through again. We sang a little bit earlier. Just, we're just gonna sing this chorus, just as a, a reminder to us that we we have something to give away because we have consumed and been consumed by Jesus. So let's just sing this chorus quietly through a few times, and then I'll continue to lead us in worship.
1: can use me I give myself away Oh I give myself away so you can use me My life is not my own to you I give myself I give myself to you oh my life is not my own to you I belong I give myself I give myself to you oh my life my life is not my own to you Myself, I give myself to you. Oh, my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. I give myself away.
0: stand, church. We're going to sing one last song, and as we do, as we proclaim um, the truth of the gospel in our lives and in our world, uh, if you need to come forward, come forward. If you need to be at the cross, come to the cross. If you need prayer, our prayer ministers are still available. They'll pray for you. So uh, worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Church, we're going to just close out by continuing to sing this song. You need to go in peace when you need to go. We want to see you back next week for our one-year anniversary service. Bring some friends. Bring some food. Be ready to celebrate together what God is doing. Somebody say, God is active. active. Say, "God God is present. And we pray that he give us the eyes to see his activity and his presence in our midst. Amen. And Lord Jesus, so now we pray that you would send us out singing, that your light is present, that you are transforming us from the inside out, that we have a hope that justice and mercy and grace and love will one day reign and rule for all of eternity. We have a hope, and for this we thank you, Jesus. We pray that the gospel that we encounter here will be the gospel we wake up with on our lips tomorrow. The gospel that calms our heart when we face fears this week. The gospel that speaks truth to our mind when we're confronted with opposition and pain this week. We pray that you be the most true thing in our lives this week, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Lead us out, worship team. We'll see you next week.
1: My heart and my soul I give you control